Let's face it, living takes guts and living a full life takes a lot of guts. Igniting Courage podcast is the place you can come to get a blast of courage from real people who are clawing their way through life just like you are. We're going to talk about big courage and also little daily courage. You'll hear people's opinions on how to build courage and how to summon it when you would rather join the circus and never be heard from again. So welcome. I'm glad you had the guts to show up for this conversation. Hey you, thanks for jumping on Igniting Courage podcast. This is episode 62 with my friend Karen Stein. Karen is the founder and host of Hearsay Storytelling here in Traverse City, where I live, and I take part in those storytelling events, and she's always really helpful with me on crafting my stories, so I I have a lot of respect for Karen, but I didn't know she's got a great courage story on overcoming anxiety, leaving everything she knew to start anew and try something different, Um, and this is a great journey that she's on that she shares with us here in this episode, so... Buckle your seatbelts. Let's go. Andale. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Karen Stein here. Uh, Karen is the creator of Hearsay Storytelling, which I take part in a lot and I love it. So thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. Oh, thank you for giving me a microphone. It's always a privilege. <laughs> and we're testing out my new microphones too, which is very, very exciting. So cool. um, what does courage mean to you? Let's just start there. For me, courage is really just recognizing what you're capable of and going there. Um, and sometimes, or not even recognizing what you're capable of, but testing yourself to see, am I capable of this? I think often people tend to just kind of stick with what they know because it's easy. Mm. And, um, you know, I had an experience many years ago where I was sticking with something that I knew, which was comfortable, but not nice. It was like, it was a bad situation, but I knew it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's that, you know, just pushing yourself to test your limits and to see what you're capable of and knowing that, you know, trying you could always go back to what it was, you know, it's not a commitment. It's just a test. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and I love that, you know, because we get so worried about what could go wrong and what failure, but I mean, most things can't, most most things can be undone. Mm -hmm. You know, most things, you know, I mean, obviously we're not, we're thinking about that. We're thinking things through, but once we get through it. Um, so where was that comfort zone place that you saw? It wasn't a good situation. Um, well, it was Chicago 2008. Um, but it wasn't Chicago necessarily. That's where I'm from. I love it. Um, but it was my life situation at the time. I was in an emotionally abusive relationship with someone who clearly he was meeting a need that I had mm-hmm. of some kind, but it wasn't a good relationship for me. Um, he was just, he was just not a nice person and I didn't like my job. I felt really bored and stagnant. Um, I remember asking my boss if he could give me more responsibility. Um, I was, I was an editor and I was asking for more responsibility because I just felt, you know, like I had hit a wall with what I was doing and his response to that was to hand me a piece of paper and say, can you fax this for me? (laughs) <laughs> there's the challenge I was looking for yeah it's like you know I yes that this is an extra 
thing to do, but it's not an extra challenge. I'm really good at pressing buttons. Yeah. Well, I don't need to test that. <laughs> and um, my apartment was terrible. Um, like paint was peeling off the ceiling and I had mice that, I mean, fortunately my cat kept catching, but <laughs> I'd rather just not have that. Uh, one of my favorite moments at that apartment was I came home from somewhere and my cat was sitting in the kitchen just staring at the ceiling and I was like, what are you looking at? And there was just this swarm of bees in my <gasps> kitchen oh my god and i couldn't get the landlord on the phone and he finally called me back and he was like well it's not a, it's not like life or death it's like you know, pose but anyway the just that confluence of things i was miserable and i would seriously just like go through the motions every day you know get up go to work um put on what i call my fugly pants because they were just like you know not nice pants but they felt like pajamas Mm, so but like, comfortable yeah you and know, you were in your mid-30s at this point right yes so i mean your prime of life you still got plenty of work ahead of you exactly uh, and to be phoning it in at that point is kind of so what finally made you decide you left eventually right yeah but actually it was a crazy turn of events that wouldn't be the thing that you would think would get me to um do the thing or you know anyway so i have to back up a little bit more i have a history of panic disorder I used to have, I mean, like, even when I was a kid, I would have panic attacks. But then in my 20s, um, I was in grad school. I, I remember I was in an elevator. I went to art, like, kind of like, and we were, all the classes would go on break at the same time. And so all of us smokers would go downstairs at the same time. And my, my classes were on the 12th floor. And um, just everyone was loading onto the elevator because we were all trying to get our cigarette. And then this guy, like... <laughs> Did that thing where you jump to make the whole oh. elevator shake. Mm. And so I had my cigarette, got back up to class and had a full-blown panic attack where I had to leave class. And then I just kept like having panic attacks succession, like every day after that. Um, it was debilitating. But my parents immediately were like, you're not going to live like this. And so within a month, I was in what I call panic camp. But it was basically like outpatient therapy. <laughs> panic camp <laughs> yeah well they they taught me it was actually a great experience for me it taught me a lot yeah about how to navigate like what's like if I'm going through life and something's upsetting me what's real and mm -hmm. what's perception I actually think everybody should go to panic camp yeah <laughs> so um but anyway I you know I managed to and I ever since then this was in my my mid-20s haven't had a panic attack since except oh, wow. for maybe like a nocturnal panic attack where you like you know wake up panicking but that goes away really fast because I know what my body is doing you know um just to, to to have that like hyper awareness of what the body's doing is um a gift you know mm -hmm. I, I can tell right away and calm down but I still had certain specific fears of things I hadn't confronted yet and one of my biggest fears like one of my biggest triggers was claustrophobia and getting stuck somewhere mm. and I was on the blue line L morning rush hour in April 2008 um it had snowed the night before so everyone was layered on the and train. yeah, yeah. Large. And, <laughs> and just a whole bunch of mishaps happened and my train I mean a whole bunch of trains but including mine we were stuck in the tunnel for two and a half hours <gasps> <laughs> yeah and what's crazy is that I never panicked that whole time I was stuck underground. This was post-camp. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. This was actually like probably 13 years post-camp. Oh, okay. So it, was, it had been um, a while. I mean, like I was a 
valedictorian yeah. of panic camp. You know? <laughs> I did so well, but this was the first time I had to confront this very specific fear. Mm. Fortunately, also the only time I've ever had to confront it. But I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about that while I was underground. Like, am I going to panic? Am I going to panic? It was more like, okay, I know that this is making me uncomfortable. And so I did everything I could to make myself comfortable. Mm-hmm. I took off my coat because, you know, when, when you sometimes getting hot triggers a panic attack. Mm. Um, and I like pulled up the legs of my fugly pants, and <laughs> pushed up the sleeves of my sweater and just kind of observed. And I mean, there were people around me who were falling apart for various reasons, um, but I was fine. And I even had to walk through the tunnel, like like a half a mile, three quarters of a mile, and up a spiral staircase. And there was a video, a news camera, like pointing at all of us as we were popping up out of the sidewalk grate, <laughs> because this was actually it was a big deal. This um, this turn of events that end. So you know, so I got back to my desk and I was like, I just survived that, and it was not a big deal. I can do anything. <laughs> Ah. So it's kind of an origin story in a way. Yeah, you know? right. And so like I immediately was like, I'm this life is not working for me how I'm living it. Like I can do better. I don't know what I want to do. And actually so I, it's not like the next day I was like, you know, like all of a sudden someone else and living my best life it took me a while. Sure. Um it always does. Yeah. It's it's kind of like, you know, like jumping into the double dutch ropes where you're like kind of like pacing yourself like when's the right time to jump in. Yeah. Um Well, and it's kind of like you 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 were standing at the door, but the door was closed and you weren't looking for something else yeah, until that moment exactly. where you were like, wait a minute, I can do better than this. Exactly. And then the door opened. Now we start looking. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I went through um, grief counseling and, uh, oh, so my father had died. I'm sorry. I, oh, okay. I did not mention that part. My father had died in 2007. And I think that's what had led to a lot of my recognition that when a parent dies. I don't know if this is true for all like close relative deaths, but especially a parent, uh, you start to like kind of turns the mirror inward, you know, where it's like, cause my father, he was young, he was 66. Mm. And, um, I don't think he was living his best life when he died. And so I started to look at my life and it's like, well, if I, if I die tomorrow, like I, this, this is all it was. I can do better than that. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah. it was like, again, it was just this like confluence of all these things. And yeah. So my brother was living in Mexico and I don't, I don't even know that he necessarily knew that I was looking for something. He just happened to call me one day and said, do you want to move down here? So you didn't just go to Indianapolis. You went to Mexico. <laughs> I went to Mexico. Nice. I went to Corretro, Mexico. If it had only um, been a- that, uh, that, that train, fateful train was in 2008 i left chicago in the end of april 2009 um and was down there through until like this first week of december 2009 um no it's just we we tried to open a business it didn't work but again it's just trying something yeah right (laughs) um what kind of business was it teaching english oh Um, cool but you know like where where we were located it was a suburb of an um of a historic city and i think a lot of the kids there were um in private school and so they were already getting english mm. lessons yeah so some of them you know came they what we did get some interest but a lot of people thought that our rates were too high um, but yeah it just it didn't work we had a few students um our very first student actually was a gentleman 
who was trying to get a job at Zumba headquarters in Florida. Nice. <laughs> and that's when I learned about Zumba. I later became a Zumba instructor. Are you show. serious? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out. Um, but you gave it a shot. Gave it a shot. That's and, awesome. Know, I, I just, I had driven down there with my dog and then my mom and I drove back from Monterey, Mexico to actually all the way up to Traverse city. Um, that's how I ended up here, which was, uh, it was supposed to be just a temporary landing space while I figured out where I was going to go next, but I ended up planting a few roots and I'm still here. Now ten, years. 10 years later. Yeah. Actually like 10 years this month. I remember your post with the potato coat. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, why didn't you go back to Chicago? Well, you know, I just, I wanted to keep trying something new. I wanted to really think about where I was going to go next. I didn't want to just default to what I knew. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, I think I spoke of Chicago longingly enough that if ever there was a time when someone didn't see me for a while up here, they like, they would always say like, oh, I thought, and then I bumped into them again. They were like, oh, I thought you moved back to Chicago. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know. I, I didn't want, again, I didn't want to just be like, well, this is what I know. So I'm just going to go back there. Well, and it's interesting how I bet. Well, and how the courage and the attempting something and failing at it, but it all being okay and trying this new thing kind of cascaded a little bit more courage and that I'm not just going to go back to what I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So how do you think your decisions now have changed because of that success with mm -hmm. failure and change and all of that that you had down in Mexico? Well, hearsay storytelling is a great example because I have, for much of my professional life, I've been an editor. So I'm behind the scenes. I'm just like the mean lady with the red pen. <laughs> like telling everyone that their sentences are terrible. Um, well, I don't do that. I actually just help them get better. Yeah, right. Um, but um, yeah, I've never been the face of anything. And even when I got here, I think I was, you know, kind of lapsing back into old habits and that, like, I thought of the show. But instead of starting it, I was trying to find someone else to do it because uh -huh. you know, I mean, I'm not from here. People didn't necessarily know me. Um, I think, you know, familiarity goes a long way in a small town. And um, speaking of comfort. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I just didn't think that it was appropriate for me to do it. And then I just finally one day I was like, you know what? I really want this to happen. I'll just do it. And uh, the very first show, I think we had. 10 storytellers because I used to treat oh, wow. storytelling like a hostage situation. Uh, <laughs> 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 you will listen to everyone's story <laughs> and then you can go home. Um, yeah. I, I've learned a lot from, from doing this. Um, but yeah, no, I think we had more storytellers than audience that night. Um, and it, you know, it, the venue didn't work. Um, it just wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so instead of saying, well, I tried that didn't work. I went out and well, I started asking people like, what do you recommend for a venue and found out about inside out gallery and yep. I went to the owner to ask him about moving it there. Um, and then by the time inside out closed hearsay was well known enough that the workshop brewing company approached me and said, do you want to move your show here? So, you know, again, it's just like being the, like being the face of something yeah. is new for me, yeah. but it's one of those things where, and I've, I've, some some seasons are more frustrating than others, and there have been many times I've almost walked away, but I know that this is something people really love to attend and participate in. Well, and the houses are packed now, what, eight eight years later, seven years later? This is season seven. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, so I just, I don't let the frustrations bother me where it's like, you know, I, <clears throat> if I need to make changes, I can make changes. Yeah. Do you think that you're, it's interesting, I'm, I'm drawing a parallel in my brain, the learning of, that you, the learning that you had at panic camp <laughs> and being able to say, you know, like when you're going to change something and you, you're scared of what's going to happen and you see possibility, but you also see possibility of it not going well. Do you think that thinking about what's real came into play as you started to consider your other possibilities? How do you mean? Well, I mean, you said like when you, you learn how to deal with your panic, mm -hmm. you, you ask yourself, okay, what's real here? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing with, with change, with getting out of your comfort zone. So many people go immediately to what's going to go wrong. How can I fail? How's this going to be bad? Whereas being able to say, okay, yes, all of that could happen, but what really is likely to happen? What's real here? Um, do you think there's a parallel there? Or am I just making that up in my head? <laughs> no, I do think there's a parallel there. Because again, I, I, it's something that apparently there had been another storytelling show in town that I didn't know about until I started building mine. It was called, um, that had already, um, they'd already disbanded when I started mine. So it was, you know, I mean, seeing like possibility, but also seeing what's real. Uh, you know, when you're the face of something, you're also the, the recipient of criticism mm -hmm. of that thing. Yeah. I'm not unfamiliar with criticisms that have been said about me or to me. Um, and you know, I past me would have thought like, Oh, I'm bad at this. I can't do this anymore. Um, and that actually, I think that actually kind of feeds my courage now where it's like, well, I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is if there's people out there who like the, the people who just want to hate on something, um, like that's actually almost like food. <laughs> yeah. Well, and oftentimes it's because they're scared to do what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know? And so they're, they're com more comfortable criticizing than, uh, than jumping in and doing stuff themselves. Oh yeah. Now there, you know, the, it ebbs and flows with who's performing. There was one season where unfortunately I was having a really hard time getting new performers mm. and someone brought the criticism to me and said, you know, you really need new performers on stage. Like I, everyone's tired of hearing the same people over and over again. And I said, well, when are you going to get on stage? <laughs> and then they backed off of that real quick. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm putting the people on stage who want to be on stage. Yeah. So what, what do you think has given you the courage to keep going with it? Where did that come from? You know, I, again, like I almost folded after season one. I almost folded after season two. Um, I've gotten boosts of energy. I, I just, I've, I hope this doesn't sound strange, but I just feel like um, this has turned into almost like a collection, you know, where it's like I'm collecting cool people. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the, it, the the courage comes, I think, from the people who want to be there mm -hmm. and who, you know, who, who remind me that what I'm doing is it, it, people want it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm and. I've just, it's, it's grown so much and it's way bigger than I ever thought it would be. I mean, I, it was, it's still not a business for me. It's just a hobby, but it was really like a, I mean, I, I now have a 
you know, graphic designer and mm-hmm. a, I have people who are taking photographs for us and, you know, where it's... Well, and like, you've got a podcast with it. Yeah. You've got a professional sound engineer that does that for you. And I mean, yeah. it's it, and you do pop-up shows. I mean, what, you do eight regular season shows. Yes. And then you're doing pop-up shows three, four, five times a year. Yeah, yeah. I get approached sometimes by other um, organizations. Uh, I've been to New York for something, um, Midland or something, Three Oaks, Michigan. Um, yeah, I've, I think people who are just familiar with, with the work of the show, um, they appreciate it. And, um, you know, and they, I think there's a lot of people who are doing what I do. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm sure. something revolutionary. Well, and yet, <laughs> when it comes to the larger population, not everybody's creating something like this, putting themselves out in front of everybody. So, so seven seasons in, mm-hmm. what requires courage now? Um... I think what requires courage now? Because it never goes away, right? It's never easy. Yeah. It's never not scary. Right. It's just something different that's scary now. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so my dog died this year mm-hmm. um, in, a couple months ago. And, it, and he was old, but he seemed healthy. And so I'm in a grief cycle right now that ebbs and flows. And sometimes it flows harder than others. And so... The courage is to push through the grief mm. and to just keep doing what I'm doing because I know that, I mean, grief is really hard work and it's almost like having a part-time job, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that I'm not always going to be this way, but some days it feels like this is just how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life because he was basically the love of my life. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and you, you're you single, so you come home every night, it's Jackson. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, just you know, like remembering why I do this. Mm. And even when on some days that it feels terrible, um, you know, that's the courage where it's like, just keep going. Cause you'll, and this is a conversation I've had with myself many times, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, you're going to feel worse if you stop doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's such an interesting phase. And we all go through this in, in whatever area of our lives, but life happens. So it may not have anything to do with the hearsay storytelling or our jobs or our ambitions, but life happens. Yeah. Whether it's a death in the family or a death in the family with your four-legged family, um, it just kind of interrupts everything. And mm-hmm. ha- you're right. Having the courage to keep going is, is tough. Yeah. Is tough. Yeah. And just pick life back up and not let it, not let it defeat you. Yeah. Exactly. How are you getting through all that? Um, I'm just allow giving myself permission to feel what I feel. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, also at the January hearsay, I'm going to talk about the very weirdo stuffed replica that I got of him that was unintentionally turned into a story. <laughs> How could a stuffed replica not? <laughs> oh, I was so deep in my grief. I don't know what I was thinking, but it, uh, you know, it's satisfying some muscle memory. <laughs> now, are we talking about a stuffed animal? Are we talking about, like, taxidermy? No, Jackson is cremated. Okay. <laughs> and, in fact, I have walked into the house before and said, hey, fake Jackson. Hey, ah! hey dust Jackson. <laughs> His spirit lives on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I, uh, in addition to grief being hard work, it makes you do really weird things. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just... Again, like letting letting myself feel it all, 
And I, you know, that's one of the things that I really wanted this podcast to, to illustrate is that courage is a daily thing. Courage changes based on your circumstance. And sometimes you just have to let yourself feel whatever it is so that you can get beyond it. And that is courage mm-hmm. enough. Sometimes just putting on your fugly pants and leaving the house <laughs> is courage. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. For as much as I was, yeah, I was still able to at least push myself enough to go through the motions. Yeah. You know, have the courage to leave the house, but then be so happy to be home and out of the public eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a terrible place to be, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I was there because I feel like, you know, I, I went to Mexico and came back a totally different person. Yeah. So. Well, and it's and it's so interesting. I've been I've been thinking about what I'm going to add to my business, sort of as another source of income and another source of inspiration for people. And I'm thinking of retreats because mm. I love to travel. I love taking a group of people and going off on a retreat. I'm like, okay, but what's consistent with my message? And it's discomfort retreats. Yeah, I got to figure out what this looks like. But it's like, that. let's go get <laughs> uncomfortable because you learn so much more about yourself. Oh, yeah. It sucks. We just watched The Way, which is a movie about hiking the Camino de Santiago. And there's so many points in it where this guy just develops so much because he's in a crappy situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we and it sucks, but we learn so much more from those tough situations. Oh, yeah. No, mm-hmm. while, while I was in Mexico, my brother and his family had gone out of town. So it was just me and I was on my way to a gas station um, and someone got really close to my car and so I tried to move out of the way and then hit a curb and ex- uh, two of my tires exploded. I mean, not like not as so dramatic as... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but it was like an early Saturday morning, you know, and like, uh, and I had no one to help me and I just, I figured it out and I would... You know, you, you have those moments of like, hey, Karen in the fugly pants from, a, you know, a couple of years ago. Did you see that? Look at me now. <laughs> yeah. That? Yeah. So. so if you if you had to give some advice to somebody who's in that situation where they they've opened the door, they're looking at possibilities and they're scared out of their minds, but they've got an opportunity that they're considering that takes them way outside their comfort zone. What would you what would you tell them? Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, for one thing, you can always come back you know you can you're if you go for it and it doesn't work out that's fine (laughs) I mean I've never heard anyone say they regretted trying something I mean unless you know it turned out to be a you know a fatal accident heroin yeah yeah that's 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 not (laughs) that's not typical right right. yeah and so I think too you know and and even like to take Baby steps towards it if you need to. You don't have to go all in all at once. You know, again, with my show, it was just like, oh, yeah. hey, let's just call some people together. I had such a hard time getting storytellers because everyone was saying, like, well, I don't know what it is exactly, so I want to see it first. But if everyone says that, what <laughs> right. are we going to see? Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so it was, you know, just a low-budget production. And, I mean, it's still a low-budget production, but it's, you know, it got big. Yeah. And so, yeah, just you know, try it out. Cause you're not stuck. You're just, you know, I wasn't stuck in the tunnel. Mm-hmm. It was temporary. Mm. So love it. You're never stuck. 
Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. For your courage coming on the show. And this is the most comfortable. I'm on Karen's couch right now. I'm all reclined. <laughs> this is the most comfortable podcast interview I've ever done. Uh, but thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to the next Hearsay show. If you're in Traverse City, come check out Hearsay Storytelling at the workshop or Hearsay Storytelling podcast mm-hmm. um, or the website, HearsayStorytelling.com. I'll put it all in the uh, in the description. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Karen. Thank you.